let's get ready for the word. So um, a couple of months back, maybe back in the summer, I was doing my, my regular just Bible reading, nothing special, and um, I was reading through Isaiah. And as I came through Isaiah, I came into Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And so here's what Isaiah 9, 6 says. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And when I came across that, it just hit me. I thought this would be awesome for Christmas time, just to be able to go through and, and study and figure out what does it mean for Jesus to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Like, what does that mean? And, and I thought this would be great for Christmas time. And so, um, so I kind of just I had that in my journal and filed it away and kind of forgot about it. So um, a few months later, we were sitting in staff meeting and, and I said, guys, I had this great thought for Christmas. I felt like God gave me something for Christmas. I can't remember where, where it is in my journal. I need to look it up. And I told him the verse and I found it. And, um, and I told him, I said, look, we're going to be doing this. I said, how should we kind of go through this series? Should I just mix the verse up and do it? And, and my dad was in, in there with us and he said, I think you ought to just go straight through. You need to start with wonderful counselor and just kind of go straight through. And, and I said, okay, that's what we can do. And, and, and I wasn't even thinking at that moment that I already had written out for November to do um, uh, discontentment, anxiety, and depression three weeks for three weeks in November. And, and here it is, the week after we talk about depression, the first thing we go into is the idea that he is a wonderful counselor. Isn't that cool? So we spend three weeks talking about all of our problems, and then we're going to start talking about the solutions now for the next couple of weeks. So, so today we're going to be talking about wonderful counselors. So just a couple of quick notes on that. Uh, some of the things that the Bible says there. First of all, it says a child is born, and unto us a son is given. We'll get into that a little bit later, but we need to remember that, that first little part of the verse. The next thing it says, though, down there after the government, it says his name shall be called. Now, one of the things I want you to notice real quick is the word name here isn't talking about Jesus. It's talking about the person. It's not talking about the name Jesus, right? You do understand he wasn't the only person named Jesus in the Bible. Like, lots of Jews in this day and time were named Jesus. It was actually a, 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 a Greek form of, of Joshua. It was a common name. His name isn't what's special. The, those letters aren't what's special about him. In this verse, when it says his name will be called... What it's talking about, the, the word name there, is talking about his characteristics. It's talking about who he is, what he does, how he lives. It's not just talking about his name, Gabriel, his name, uh, John, his name, Bob. He's talking about his name, who he is, his characteristics. When, when I was a little kid, I was very rotund, right? I was very round child. I was born big and I stayed big for a while and apparently um, I just had whatever weight I was as a little kid and I just got taller and kept the same weight. I was probably 160 pounds as a two-year-old and, um, and so anyways I was so big as a kid that my legs had roll after roll after roll like a little Michelin man, right? And my mom said she couldn't go to a grocery store without strangers coming up asking if they could pinch the fat on my legs. Nowadays, that would not go over well, right? But back then, my mom was like, yeah, sure, pinch him. I don't care. I, don't, I mean, whatever, you know. And so, uh, so I, I, I went around half my life with all these little pinch marks all over me. Um, and, and so I remember my parents, uh, my parents used to call me, or my dad still does to this day, will call me Bo. 
And it's not like Bo, like B-E-A-U-X, like my dog's name. It wasn't, it wasn't Bo, like Bo Duke from the Dukes of Hazard. It was Bo, like big old boy is what he used to call me. It was big old, right? Like a big old, because I was big. I was a big old baby. And so they called me Bo. And so, so I had this nickname that meant something. It meant, it, it, it characterized me. It, it, it reflected part of who I was, right? It reflected that I was big as a little kid. And you guys don't believe that because you look at me now and I'm really skinny. Because you didn't want to call me fat. I would have hurt my two-year-old feelings, I'm sure. Um, but the, the, the idea here is these names characterize who he is. There's a running back in the, in the NFL. He's, I think he's retired now, Marshawn Lynch. And, and, and I remember Marshawn Lynch's nickname was Beast Mode. His nickname was Beast Mode. And unfortunately, as a Saints fan, Marshawn Lynch was, he played for, the, um, for, for Seattle for a while. And I remember one year we made it to the playoffs and Seattle was a terrible team, but somehow they backed their way into the playoffs. And in that game, he ran over every Saints player in front of him. Like literally, he would run and all the Saints would gather around and he would just knock them over like a bowling ball hitting down pins. And that's when they started calling him Beast Mode because no one could stop him and he just ran over everybody. And the name Beast Mode became uh, a characteristic of who he was. It was something that he embraced as Beast Mode. And, and what I want to tell you today is whenever we talk about Jesus' names... When we talk about in the name of Jesus, I'm not just talking about in the name of J-E-S-U-S. There are times whenever I'm going through a problem or an issue and I need to know his character, not just the name on his name badge. So whenever I say in the name of Jesus today, I'm talking about he is a wonderful counselor. So when I'm going through my depression and I'm going through my anxiety and I'm going through my tragedy and I'm going through my pain, what do I need? Who am I calling on? I'm not just calling on Jesus. I'm calling on the wonderful counselor. I've got to go by his nickname because that's who he is. The word wonderful here, just again, I'm not into my message yet. This is just a couple of quick notes on that. The word wonderful here is something that, that we need to understand that, that wonderful isn't the same here in the Bible as it is today. How many of you know we throw wonderful around all the time? Like somebody will come up to you and they'll be like, man, I just, you know, I was just walking down the street and I found a dollar bill. And like, oh, that's wonderful. Is it really? I mean, a dollar bill is not worth anything anymore. Is it really wonderful that you found a dollar bill? We had someone um, at, at another church one time come in and say they, they were always, um, always broke, always needing money. And they came in and they said, you're not going to believe this. God blessed me with a car. And we're like, what? God blessed you with a car? That's awesome. Someone gave you a car. No, no, no. They didn't give me a car. I went and got a new car and I'm in debt up to my eyeballs over it. And I don't think I'll ever survive. But God blessed me with a new car. Like, That's wonderful. No, it wasn't. You know, like it's not wonderful what's happening to you right now. But we just throw out the word wonderful all the time. But in the Bible, the word wonderful means full of wonder. It, it means unimaginable greatness. Whenever we read the word wonderful, we've got to understand that it's got to be something that's bigger than we can comprehend. So when I call him wonderful counselor, what I'm saying is that he is such a great counselor that I can't, my brain can't even comprehend all that he has and all that he can do for me. So he is wonderful. He's not just wonderful. He is wonderful. Does that make sense? So let's get into the word. Why is he a wonderful counselor? And how does he counsel us like that? Like, like what is it that makes him so wonderful? Well, the first thing that makes him wonderful is the fact that he created us. He created us. And if he created us, then he knows us. Psalm 139.13 says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
inward parts there means the inmost being. Literally, it means kidneys, right? Back in those days, they didn't say, um, I love you with all my heart. They said, I would love you with all my kidneys because kidneys just seems to be more central, I suppose, right? And so, um, so they just meant when they say kidneys or heart, same thing, we would say heart. It's your mind, your will, your emotions. It is that deepest part of who you are. And one of, the, one of the things that David is saying here is he says, you formed my inward parts. You formed my mind, my will, and emotions. You formed my ability to have an attitude, my ability to think. You formed everything in me that makes me who I am. Now listen, if he's the one that formed you and you break, don't you think he's the one that can fix you? If he's the one that formed you, if you get something, if you were to go out and purchase something and it were to break, what do you do? You send it back to the manufacturer. Why? Because they're the ones that created it. Therefore, they can fix it better than anybody else. He is the manufacturer. He's the one that formed you and knitted you together in your mother's womb. So it's important for you to know today that whenever I'm broken, I have to go to him to get to get fixed. The second thing that he is, is he is full of wisdom. Isaiah 11, verse 2. This is so good. I love this verse. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, talking about Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Here's the great thing about his ability to counsel you today, is he is full of wisdom. He is full of understanding. He knows everything. The Bible says that he is omniscient. He knows all things all the time. And so here's the neat thing about that is not only does he know everything, not only is he full of of power and might and counseling and wisdom and understanding, not only is he full of all those things, but all of those things are based on the idea of the fear of the Lord. So whenever they're based on the idea of the fear of the Lord, it's not about what PhD I have behind my name on the wall as a counselor. I'm not saying counselors are bad. As a matter of fact, later on, I'll tell you that you need to go to counseling. If you've got issues, if you've got problems, you need people in your life to talk to. We'll talk about that later. But here's the thing that sometimes we get hung up on is we get hung up on who is this person studying and and who did this person learn from and who did this person, where did they go to school? And with Jesus, it's it's not about what PhD, what letters he's got behind his name. It's not about what school he went to. It's about the fact that everything he tells you is from the Holy Spirit and it's based on the fear of the Lord. It's always going to lead you from a place of trusting God, believing in God, serving God, surrendering to God. We sing that song today uh, about, you know, I, I throw up my hands, right? All I've got to give, this is the only thing I've got, is to give you my life, really. It talks about a heart of gratitude, but really it's all about giving my life. And that is the basis, that's the foundation for every counseling session that you enter into when you go to Jesus. The third thing is this, he can sympathize with us. I'm going to hang out here for just a second. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to hit Hebrews 4 a lot today, but Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 says this. Since, we then, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Some versions say faith. Hold on to your faith. Don't let go of your faith. Why? Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. A couple of things we're going to notice here. First of all, Uh, The writer of Hebrews is telling us to hold on to your faith. Why do I have to hold on to my faith? Because there's going to be plenty of things in life that are going to try to derail your faith. 
We just talked about it. Anxiety, discontentment, depression, all things that the devil wants to use, all mind games he wants to play with you to derail your faith. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hold on tight to your faith. Why? Because I've got somebody that's going to help you out. We serve a God. We serve Jesus that can sympathize with our weaknesses. In the Greek uh, culture of the day, the Greeks... uh, the main attribute of a Greek god was the fact that they were unable to feel, um, they were unable to feel anything that the humans felt. So when a Greek had a problem and he went to his god, he prayed at the temple of whatever god he wanted to go worship at, he needed to understand the fact that his god could not sympathize with him. Zeus didn't understand his problems. And so the Greeks had this mentality that God couldn't understand. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, we don't serve one of those gods. We serve a God that can sympathize with us. He's different than those other gods. Now there's a word here. Sometimes you'll, in some of your Bibles you'll see empathy. You'll see empathize. Sometimes you'll see sympathize, right? The actual Greek word is, is the word that leads us. It's, a, it's a, the root word of, of sympathize. So that's sympathy is where we're going. I do want to just mention quickly, the word empathy means that I can understand your feelings. And Jesus does understand your feelings. He does understand what's going on. But the word sympathize means I can share your feelings. There's plenty of times in the Bible when, the, when Jesus would look at a crowd and he would say, I have compassion on them. In other words, I can feel what they feel. I have a deep-seated passion to help these people out. In Hebrews uh, 4.15, the one we just read, when it says that sympathize, it literally means in the Greek, it means to suffer along with someone, to have compassion on someone, or to be touched by the same feeling as that person. Whenever you're hurt and you're broken and you're down and you're out, you need to understand that you serve a Christ that knows exactly how you feel because he's been there. Remember earlier we said... um, we said that he, he came to earth as a child. It says, unto us a child is given. The fact is that Jesus had to come as a child. He had to come and experience the human condition. He had to live the same way as you and I have to live. He, he had to do that because that's the only way that he could sympathize with us. That's the only way that he could really help us. That's the only way that he could counsel with us. See, most of the gods in the Greek understanding of gods was that God would sit up on their mountain and look down on man. But in Jesus' story, Jesus is born to a woman. He's placed in a manger and he's looking up at man. Jesus is right here among us and he feels what we feel. He knows what we know. He, he felt the pain of being rejected. He felt the pain of losing loved ones. He, he felt the pain uh, of being murdered, of, of, being, of being turned on. He, he felt hunger and he, he understands which you go through because he's had to live it. Psalm 68, 19 says, Praise be to the Lord, uh, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Whatever you're going through today, whatever depression, anxiety, discontentment, whatever issue you have in your life today, you need to know that you serve a God that doesn't just look down on you. You serve a God that literally comes in and helps you carry all of your burdens because he loves you and he cares for you. I want to get into how he counsels us. So these are the reasons why he counsels us, because he created us, because he can sympathize with us, because he's full of wisdom. So how does he counsel us? Because this is the one thing I used to not like whenever I was, whenever I was younger and I would listen to messages and people would say, 
things like this. Like, oh, he counsels you because, because he's, he created you. And I would think that's really good. But now, now what do I do with that knowledge? Like, what do I do with this information that Jesus is a wonderful counselor? How do I get counseling? Because last time I checked, he doesn't have an office in Trustful, right? Like, I can't just call him up and be like, hey, I need an appointment. Like, how do I get counseling from Jesus? And so I want to just give you three ways that he counsels us. First, he counsels us by his spirit. John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. John 16, 13. But when he, the Holy, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with, the, with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being, in your mind, will, and emotions. The Holy Spirit's job is to help counsel you through every issue. And we need to understand today that we can hear the Holy Spirit. He can speak to us. We can know what he's saying. And some of you are like, there's no way. I've never heard the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you're talking about. You're a weirdo. I've never heard a voice. Listen, have you ever been in a moment where you were faced with the decision and you knew, you knew what to do? He's like, I got to do this. Like, I can't, I cannot do this. Now, maybe you didn't do it, right? Maybe you chose the wrong way, but you knew what you were supposed to do. That was the Spirit of God speaking to your heart helping you to know what you're supposed to do, counseling you through that situation. Now, a lot of times we choose not to listen. My wife says she's the Holy Spirit for me, right? She claims to be Holy Spirit. She claims to tell me everything, that she knows everything I'm supposed to do. There are times I choose to not do what she says because I'm a man and I don't want to be told what to do. And it turns out bad every time. John? Yeah, your wife's not in the room, so you can like, you're real tough today. <laughs> the fact is, the fact is, the Holy Spirit's always speaking to us. He's always speaking to us. Now, I will say this, and, and, and I don't necessarily know that I have Bible for what I'm about to say, so this is just an opinion. This is an opinion, not, not gospel. But, but I really feel like if we keep ignoring him, if we keep ignoring him, I'm not going to say he's not going to talk to you, but I'm going to say it becomes easier and easier and easier to ignore the Holy Spirit. One of the things my dad used to say about counseling, he never liked to counsel people. And, um, and honestly, most people don't like to be counseled by my dad. He's not good at that at all. Because um, my dad's idea is stop, you know, stop being stupid and then you won't have problems, right? Like if you're just not stupid, then, then things will get better. And most, believe it or not, you're not going to believe this, most people don't like hearing that. Did you know that? Like I, we did a survey one time, and people don't like to hear that they're stupid. They, just, they would rather someone be sugarcoating and, and loving, and Dad's just not that way. He's a little prickly. So one of the things that Dad used to say about, about counseling people, he said, I don't like to counsel people because every time I counsel somebody, they never do what I tell them to do. And then it gets worse. And that's, that's what happens with the Holy Spirit sometimes. I feel like the Holy Spirit is always speaking to us. But are we listening? Are we doing what the Holy Spirit says? The more we ignore, the easier it becomes. The second way that, that, that Jesus counsels us, he counsels us through his spirit. Um, and, and let me say this about through his spirit. We read last week out of, um, out of 1 Kings 19, we read about Elijah. And remember when we read about Elijah, we said that he heard a gentle whisper. That was the spirit of God speaking to him. Sometimes it's a little gentle whisper in the back of your head. It's that little thought that he drops in there. That's the Holy Spirit trying to counsel you. The second way that he counsels us is through his people. He, through his people. 
Uh, this is where this is where counselors come into play, right? This is where counselors are good. But but let me let me uh, read this verse to you. Hebrews chapter ten, verses twenty four through twenty five. The Bible says this: "And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds." Right off the bat, let me pause there. One of the things that Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying here is he's saying you need to think about how you can spur each other on towards love and good deeds. What is that? That's counseling. That's counseling. So, so if someone comes to me and they say, hey, I've got a problem. I've got this issue. I've got this depression. I've got this sin. I've got this anxiety. I've got whatever the case is. And they come to me. My goal is not to point out the obvious flaw that they're living with. They already know they've got a flaw. Otherwise, they wouldn't be coming and talking to me. My goal is to spur them on, to encourage them, to point them in the right direction, to, to, to send them on their way towards good deeds, towards love, towards godliness, right? What is that? That's what counseling is. That's what counseling is, is to spur each other on. And notice that, that the writer here doesn't say that you've got to have a professional counselor all the time. Yes, I think it's good for you. But you know what? You can get counsel sometimes from the people sitting around you. Sometimes just getting a little different perspective is a big help. One of the things we talk about in this church a lot, if this church is truly, if our idea, our concept is we want to be family church, right? If that's the idea that we want to be family church, then we have to embrace all ages of people. We can't be a church that just caters to young people. We can't be a church that just caters to 20-somethings. We can't be a church that just caters to people with little kids. We have to be a church, and we can't be a church that just caters to older people. We have to be a church that, that really loves all people and values all age people. And one of the things that I'm going to tell you right now, from the time I was a little kid, my parents instilled in me is to value older people. Because older people have been around the sun a couple of times. They have wisdom that we don't understand. They've got scars that can tell lots of stories. And if all we do is get consumed with the people that are in our age group, I'm going to tell you something, we're going to mess up. Because the people in our age group, everything you do, they think it's fine because that's what they do too. But older people have done what you've done and they've, they've wrecked that car, they've, they've hit that tree, and they can tell you how to, how to get through that problem that you're dealing with. So I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, whenever we talk about meeting with older people, uh, meeting with people, I'm going to just tell you there's some older people than you that you need to get with. There's some people in your life. I, I, tell, I tell young couples when I, when I do premarital counseling, I say you need to find a couple that's older than you and let that, those people help mentor you through your life. So he says, let us consider how to spur each other on. Um, verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me say this. He says, don't give up meeting together. Here's a couple of things I want to throw at you real quick. Number one, we should always be coming to church. I know some of you are watching online right now, and I know for some of you, you're watching online because it's more convenient. You're out of town, you're on vacation, you're doing whatever. Maybe you've got sick people in your family, and so you're staying home and watching online. But listen, that should be an emergency situation. That should be something I have to do because I can't be there. It should not be, I just don't want to go to church. When we do, and nobody likes that one, but y'all are all here, so it's not affecting you. All the online people right now are not shouting. Like, there's no, you're wrong, Gabriel. So um, here's the thing. Here's the thing about watching online. I love, I love online. I love the capability because whenever I'm on vacation, I love to be able to open up my phone and watch the service. I love that. But I don't just skip church because I just don't feel like going. 
If I skipped everything I didn't feel like doing, I wouldn't do a lot of stuff. The Bible says we need to meet together, man. There's power in us coming together. There's power in us being with each other. There's healing that can take place with us being together. We need each other. God did not design you to live your life isolated and alone. He designed you to live your life with people. One of the first things God says whenever he makes Adam is he said, it is not good for man to be alone. This is not a good thing. He called everything else good. He made spiders and said, this is good. But when he made man by himself, he said, that's not good. They got to be together. We need to put people around them. They need family. They need friends. They need people that can help them, encourage them, love them. Here's the other thing on meeting together. It's not just about church. Sometimes the only time we meet together is when we get to church. But I want to encourage you. You need to find some people in your life that you can meet with. You need to find some people in your life and you need to say, hey, can I take you to coffee? Can I take you to lunch? Can I take you to breakfast? If it's me, if there's a good pancake place, you can get me. Like, like that's the way to do it. Can I take you and I, can I just talk to you? I had someone, uh, someone text me the other day and they said, hey, Gabriel, I want to start mentoring with somebody. Would you be willing to sit down with me? I'm like, I don't know if you want to hear what I got to say because I'm, <laughs> I'm not that good, but, but I'll surely do it, you know. We need to start meeting together. You need to have those relationships and those friends. If the only time you see each other is on Sunday morning, it's not enough. It's not enough. We need people. I need guys in my life to speak into my life. My wife needs women to speak into her life. We need each other. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews says this, and do this all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the end is coming soon. He says, do it even more. Meet together even more. Encourage each other even more. The third way that, that in the last way we're going to talk about today that he counsels us is he counsels us through his word. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, the discerning of thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account couple of things here it says that God's word is living and active we need to be in God's word you need God's word you need to hear it you need to read it you need to consume it however you can why because it's in God's word the Bible says it's it's able to split the soul and the spirit what is the soul and the spirit the soul is my mind will and emotions that's my thoughts my imaginations my feelings how many of you know that your thoughts imaginations and feelings will lie to you amen some of y'all don't want to raise your hand, but how many of you know somebody who their thoughts, will, and emotions lie to them? Yeah, all of us can raise our hand, right? We, we get these thoughts in our head that will lie to us and, and tell us things that, 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 that we shouldn't be listening to. And what, what the Bible says here is it says that God's word can divide the soul and spirit. So what is the soul and spirit? The soul is my, my thoughts, my will, my emotions, my imaginations, but my spirit is that eternal truth that God has buried in my life. Like there is some truth in there and there are imaginations in there and it's only through the word of God that we can distinguish between the two of them. God's word is powerful and effective. God's word is living and active. God's word says that it, it discerns the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Can I tell you something today? Your heart is deceiving. The Bible says that, that the heart is evil, right? The heart is evil. The Bible says that we should guard our heart because it's a wellspring of life. Everything we do flows from our heart. So it's important that God's word helps counsel us through those thoughts, 
those imaginations, those attitudes. It's all about God's word. Let me, let me give you a practical little note here with God's word. I personally, whenever I uh, read God's word, I, I do it on my phone. I just, I, I don't want people, sometimes you would, I would hear preachers talk about, you know, how they read their Bible. And I just thought, man, there's no way I can wake up at four o'clock in the morning and read 10 chapters a day. I just can't do it. And I'd hear these guys talk like that. So I'm just going to tell you the, the reality of how I read my Bible as a, as a relatively fast-paced life kind of person. So whenever I get up in the mornings, I, I have the Bible app on my phone. We, um, we promote that here quite a bit. So I open up the Bible app. I've got a read through the Bible in a year Bible plan that I looked up on there. I can help you find it if you need help. My, the one I read is called Life Journal. Um, the Life Journal Bible plan. Perry reads uh, a chronological Bible plan. You know the Bible's not written in chronological order. I don't know if you knew that or not. So Perry likes to read it in chronological order. And so it just rearranges everything to where it all fits in, in one nice story. And so as, as I read the Bible, here's what I do. I will sit down at my, at my breakfast table. I try to wake up a little bit earlier than I have to, not much. I'm not waking up at 4 in the morning. Um, but for me, it's a little bit early, maybe 20 minutes earlier than I should, than I need to, um, to do all the things I have to do in the morning. I turn on my Bible app. I hit play, right? And it will read to me usually about four chapters, three or four chapters. And my Bible reads to me. I open up my journal. It's right there on the front row. I open up my journal. I get out a pen. And as the Bible app is reading to me, and I'm listening, and I'm watching it, and now on my phone, it'll actually scroll. And so it's just scrolling along. And then all of a sudden, there will be a verse or two that just really stand out. And I think, this might be God. Like, this might be the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. So I hit pause. I hit highlight. I write it down in my journal. If it's something that I think is just for me, I leave it in my journal. If it's something that I think maybe the church could benefit from, I'll throw it on social media just to, just to kind of throw it out there in case someone needs to hear that for the day. Um, sometimes I'll take it and I'll send it out to friends or, or family that might need it. Maybe it's for my kids or, or, or maybe it's for some of my buddies. And so I'll send out verses sometimes. It's nothing super spiritual, but it's just a way for me to allow God's word to counsel me through my life. And when I write it in my journal, it's things that I need to hear. And it's amazing to me how God's word works, that I'm not necessarily looking up my issue. It's not like I looked up, what does the Bible say about depression? I might do that for studying, but I will be listening and all of a sudden a verse will pop out and God knows what I'm dealing with. He knows what I'm going through. And I write that down and I, write, I start praying over that verse. I may not even finish my whole chapter that day. Sometimes I'll just get stuck on that one verse and I just hang out right there. Let me tell you another little practical note. On the Bible app, one of the things it does, I know I need to get back to the Word, and I will. But I th honestly, I think I would rather you know how to read God's Word than anything else today. Like, if that's the only thing you get from the message today is know how to read God's Word, that, that will be a win in my book. So here's the other thing I do. On the Bible app, it throws up a little calendar for your Bible reading plan. And when I was younger, what would happen was is I would miss a day. Listen, the reality is we all are going to miss a day here or there. Like stuff, stuff happens, you get up, you get out of your routine. I'm a routine guy. And so if I get out of my routine, it throws everything off. And so I would miss a day. And when I would miss a day, then I would look back and I'd think, oh man, I've got to read those five chapters and these three chapters. How am I going to get it all in? And I would try and I would, I would fail. And then I'm always a day behind. And then all of a sudden I'm two days behind. And I'm three days behind. And then I just give up on it. So I started doing this thing. There's little three dots at the top of your Bible reading plan. You hit those buttons, 
And whenever you hit those three dots, a thing comes up and it says, catch me up. So if you miss a day, here's what you do. You press catch me up. You know what it does? It shifts all the dates to where you don't have a missed day anymore. You just start right there. Can I just free you up to not get guilt and shame about missing a day on your Bible reading plan? Just hit catch me up and keep going. Just hit catch me up and keep going. Why? Because God wants to speak to you. He wants to counsel you through your issues. But if all the counseling you're getting is by watching Dr. Phil in the afternoons, maybe you're going to fail over and over. Because guess what? Dr. Phil ain't got it all together either. But Jesus has it all together. Let's end today. So we know, we know his qualifications for counseling us, right? He created us. He's full of wisdom. We, we, we get the qual. He sympathizes with us. Those are the qualifications. We know how he counsels us. He counsels us through people. He counsels us through his spirit. He counsels us through his word. Now, how do we get counseling? How do we make the appointment? Hebrews chapter 4 says this, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We have to approach him. We have to approach him. But here's the cool thing. It says we should draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That word confidence there means boldness. If you look up other versions, it'll say, let, let us draw with boldness. Let us enter into his throne room with boldness. That word means uh, boldness, no shame, head held high. When I go to Christ for counseling, I keep my head up. I don't go in there like this. Uh, Woe is me, I'm such a terrible person. I'm so embarrassed, I'm so ashamed. I counseled with someone one time and, and they came into my office and they sat down and, and the first thing they said was, I feel so ashamed to talk to you. The person hadn't even really done anything wrong. It was just stuff that had happened to them. But I just feel so ashamed to talk to you. And I said, man, you're my biggest hero. Like there's nothing more manly to me than being able to admit that you've got issues that you can't handle on your own. It's so manly. It's so bold. It's so you are a hero to be able to step in. And say, hey, I've got some issues. I need some help. And that's exactly how Jesus wants you to approach his throne. He wants you to approach boldly, head held high. That word um, confidence or boldness also means to be persistent. That means we are constantly seeking out his counsel. That if I don't get an answer, I keep seeking. If I don't hear the Spirit speak to my heart, then the next thing I do is I move to the God's Word. If I don't get anything out of God's Word, the next thing I do is I go find somebody. I find a professional counselor, a Christian counselor. I talk to my pastor. I talk to my small group leader. I talk to my best friend. I talk to, to the, the older couple in the church that's been through it before. Like, I pursue the counsel of Christ. I am persistent. Why? Because I continue to fight for freedom. I continue to fight for my faith. I continue to be bold and enter into the throne. That's what I got to do. The last one is the word confidence also means consistent in the Greek there. That it's daily. Listen, it's daily. I'm consistent at pursuing his counsel. He says that we will find grace. Grace just means unmerited favor. In other words, some people get confused with grace and mercy. Mercy means I don't get what I do deserve. I deserve death, but he's got mercy on me. 
Grace means I get something that I don't deserve. He blesses me. He speaks to me. He counsels me. He encourages me when I don't deserve it. When I may feel like I'm the worst sinner in the whole world, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is that? That's grace. That's grace. It's grace that says, I don't care what you've done. I'll still die for you. I'll still forgive you. How? If you're willing to repent, if you're willing to draw near, if you're willing to walk into the throne of grace. Now, grace isn't a hazmat suit, right? Grace isn't a hazmat suit that says you can just go do whatever you want to do and and nothing will ever stick to you. Grace is here whenever we've screwed up and we learn how to repent and we say, God, I messed up. I messed up. I'm sitting in this pig pen, I'm looking around, and I realize I don't need to be here anymore. I've messed up, and I come back to you. And we leave the mess we're in, and we go to God, and we find grace. Now notice he doesn't say anything in here about the level of sin you've committed. He says you will receive mercy and find grace uh, to help in your time of need. In other words, it doesn't say how bad your problem is. It just says if you've got a need... I've got enough grace to cover it. But I need you to show up. I need you to do the work of showing up and pursuing because I'm here waiting on you. Why don't you stand up with me today? In 1 Samuel chapter 30, as we were, as we were doing the, as we were in worship today, uh, I, I just felt like God was telling me this verse out of 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I didn't hear an audible voice. I just... The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will remind you of what he said. I believe the Holy Spirit reminds us of verses in the Bible. And so this story just popped into my head. And I thought that might be exactly what we need today. So there's a story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And it says that David, um, David was out fighting. And while he was fighting, he had his own city. And while he was out fighting, the enemy, the Amalekites, came in and they destroyed his city, burned it to the ground, and kidnapped all of, it, all of the men's women and their kids and their stuff. They took everything. And it says in verse 3, When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever been in a position where you're so hurt and broken? It feels like everything has been burned down around you. Your family's torn up. Your job's torn up. Nothing's working. Nothing's going right. And you begin to weep and you begin to cry. And you're in such desperation that you cry until you can't cry anymore. That's where David found himself. The Bible's full of broken people. Verse 6 says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Some versions say he strengthened himself in the Lord. The the song we sang today where it says, um, Get up my soul, you've got a lion inside of whatever. I can't even think of the words right now, I'm not focused on that. But it's talking to yourself, talking to your own soul, talking to yourself. That, we got that from David. David's the one that started that because David's the one that would strengthen himself in the Lord. David learned how to talk to himself. He would say, you can't stay in this depression anymore. You've got to get up. 
you got to praise God. you got to find your strength in the Lord. Your strength's not going to come in your men because your men are ready to kill you. Your strength's not going to come in your city because your city's burned to the ground. Your strength's not going to be in your finances because it all got stolen. Your strength's not even going to be in your family who you love because they got kidnapped. Like everything around you is broken down and gone. The only thing you can do is find counsel in Jesus. The next thing the Bible says that David does Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. The ephod was a a piece of clothing that they would wear when they entered into the presence of God. When they wanted to step into the presence of God, they, they had this idea that, that they had to put on this ephod that was, it, it was, it was sewn of, of one thread. It was, it was woven together. It wasn't like pieces. It was, it, was, it was holy. It was set apart. And so David put on the ephod and he pursued the throne of grace. It says he put on the ephod. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? And God said, do it, man. Pursue pursue them. Today, whatever your distress is, whatever your struggle is, whatever your depression is, your anxiety, whatever your discontentment is, can I tell you something? You need to strengthen yourself in the Lord today. There are people, I love the fact that David did two things. He went for a man. He said, Abiathar, get over here. Bring me the ephod. We're going into God's presence today. Me and you, we're going to see what God's got to say. And he pursued the throne of grace. No matter how bad your issue, I promise you God can find grace for you today. But look, you got to pursue it. Like, you got to go after it. You've got to enter into that throne room today. And the Bible says you'll find it. Let's close our eyes all over this place. Just find some alone time with the, with the Holy Spirit. I believe He wants to say something to you today. And I'll tell you why. Because He is a wonderful counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. And He's got some things to talk to you about this morning. He's looking at your past. He's looking at your yesterday. And he's saying, listen, you got some issues here. You got some problems. You got some things that are burned down. But I want to counsel you through them. I want to get you through this stuff. I want to help you. He's looking at your thoughts and attitudes that just aren't right. The, the, the imaginations that you've got today. He's seeing that they're not right. And he's saying, listen, I can help you divide that with the truth. I can help you find truth in your, in your imagination here. I can help you. He can give you grace today. He can give you grace today to cover your sins. But are you willing to pursue it? Are we willing to repent? Are we willing to go to Him? See, a lot of times when people have problems, and I'll tell them, I'll say, look, you probably need to go get some professional counseling because I'm not a pro, so go talk to a professional counselor. Right off the bat, they begin to balk at that because they don't really want to go pursue it because they don't want to open everything up. But the Bible says, the Bible says that everything gets laid bare whenever we allow Jesus to counsel us. Everything gets laid bare. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to lay everything bare? Are you willing to repent and give everything up? We do this the last couple of Sundays we've done this. I'm going to do it again today. If I can get uh, mom and dad, you guys come on down. 
Gary and Sarah back in the back. You guys come on down for me real quick. Paul and Vicky, y'all come on down. If you need prayer today, I'm going to pray over you. But if you need prayer for any of these areas today, if you've got something going on, if the Spirit's speaking to your heart today about something, I want you just to slip out of your seat. And these guys aren't going to counsel you in the sense of you're not going to have a big, a big counseling session down here at the front of the building. But they just want to pray with you. They want to love on you because the Bible says don't give up meeting together. Sometimes the meeting you need is right here at the front of the building. Sometimes the meeting you need is a two-minute prayer from somebody that's been through a, a battle or two. So God, right now, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would touch our lives. I pray for those of us that are discouraged and down and out, God, that, that you would encourage us today. I pray today that we would repent of our sins. If, if we've got some issues going on today, I just ask that we would repent. So if you're out there today, just, just tell him, say, I want to repent, God. I want to turn away. I don't want to keep doing the same thing. I, I keep doing my life the way I've been doing it, and it's not going the way I want it to go. I keep failing over and over, and today I want to repent. I want to turn away from from my sin. I want to stop doing those things. I want to confess that and get it off my chest. Today I need you. Today I need you. So God, today as we pray that prayer, as we come to you boldly, God, held, held, head held high, God, confident knowing that you can forgive us, confident knowing that you can counsel us, confident knowing that you can heal our brokenness. God, we step into the throne of grace today. We pursue you today. And we ask that you would touch our lives and change us. Don't ever let us be the same. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer this morning, we're going to play a song. I want you to slip out of your seat. Come down let one of these guys pray with you. Kim's going to dismiss, but that's not going to stop what's happening down here. If you need prayer, be bold today. Let these.